name's Carter Burwell. I wrote the music for The Banshees of Vanish Sharon. Martin McDonough and I have done three or four, <laughs> four films before. We began on the film In Bruges, which also starred Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. So in many ways, it feels like a reunion. But Martin, you know, he's, he has another job as a playwright, and he used to say, oh, every four or five years, I'm, I'm going to make a film. And he's kind of kept to that schedule. And so this is our, I guess, our, what, our fourth time out. Martin keeps calling me to do this because I think we do have similar sensibilities. His, his writing is a very particular thing. It's, it involves this dark view of the world and at the same time a, a really uh, vicious sense of humor and also a, a, a lot of humanity too. I mean, it's also very humane. So that, that combination is something which I think we have in common. So we don't have to actually talk about it that much. I, we never, he never has to... <laughs> If to tell me why something's supposed to be funny or, or sad, I approach every film as its own world. And the fact that it's that's Martin and people that I've worked with before doesn't have any bearing at all on it. And even though Martin and I have done several other films, you know, they're all Martin McDonough films, but they're all different. Like some of them are, you know, more smart alecky, like Seven Psychopaths, and Three Billboards is you know much more has a heart to it. Yeah, they're all, they're all different. I, I never, I don't think I make any presumptions when I start a new film. I try not to. Martin and I don't live near each other. I think, you know, on all of these films, we've mostly not been in the same place when I'm writing it. He lives in London. I live at the end of Long Island. But we have done quite a few films together now. And even before COVID, we, you know, had established a way to, to work together long distance. It's, fortunately, he's a writer, so we write emails back and forth. We talk on the phone, but, we, you know, he's, he can express himself very well um, in text. And I, I like that, too. One of the things I enjoy about working with filmmakers who are also writers, like Martin, the Coen brothers, you know, it's this that they know what's going really going on in the story and they can also express it. So we're used to working long distance. In this case, he actually was in New York for a week or two at the very beginning of the of the film because he had a, he had a play opening on Broadway. So we actually were together for like one day and to go through the film, talk about it face to face. But then after that, we didn't see each other again until the recording when it was all written and everything else was done. Basically, I would just send him what I was writing. He would write back his, uh, his feelings about the pieces. And that method happens to work perfectly well for us. I think for some other collaborations, it might not, but for us, it does. So typically, when Martin's got a script, he will let me know. I think even before he knows whether he's really going to shoot it or not, he'll say, well, I've written this thing, and it's about two guys in Ireland and on an island off the coast of Ireland. And, and he'll just drop me hints as to what, uh, what he's working on, what he thinks is going to be the next thing for us to work on. 
And then typically before he goes to shoot, he'll send me a script, maybe a few months before the shoot, so that I can read it and we can talk about possibilities. And we don't usually nail anything down at that point, but he does like to to begin the conversation early. And this one was sort of complicated because when I read the script, it's, you know, takes place on an island off the coast of Ireland, and it's uh, the story is very Irish. And I said, I don't see any reason why the music wouldn't be Irish. And Martin just said, no, no, I hate Irish musical scores. I think he said, I hate that deedle dee music. And I, you know, it just really brought something up. Very strong reaction from him. So I, I had to think of what it would be if it were not that. So, you know, that, that was before he shot. And typically I don't actually start writing music for the film until there is some sort of an edit of the film so that I can see what it looks like, what the pacing is like. Because all those things affect the music, how, how it's shot, where the camera is, and, and the performances of the actors. So I am... Um, between when we had that conversation about not, no Irish music and when I actually started writing music, there were many months where I could sit and think about what what else it was going to be. And yeah, my thoughts wandered far and wide and I tried uh, a lot of, I had a lot of things sort of just on my desk thinking, well, this might work, this might work. But until I actually see what he's shot, I, I guess one way of looking at it is until you actually throw the music against the picture, you don't know whether it's going to stick, whether it's like actually bringing out the right thing in the film. One of the things you learn pretty quickly from doing music for films is that any music does something. Like you can, you know, it's, often you can't say that it's right or wrong. It's more like, what does it do? Martin had already, for one section of the film, he had this piece that was he put in that he was listening to and had in his mind. It's you know when he was shooting, that's performed by a gamelan. He said, "I've you know for what it's worth, I really like this gamelan piece." He also had a Bulgarian song that I happen to know very well. Oh, and then also I think some of the classical music. And sometimes those things survive into the final film. A lot of times they don't. In this case, for instance, the Bulgarian song is there right at the beginning of the movie. And I think a lot of people watching the film will assume that it's a Gaelic song just because they don't understand what's being said. But it's a, it's a Bulgarian song, Polinyala e Tudor. It's a very catchy and pretty famous uh, Bulgarian song. And um, there, the classical pieces uh, are in there, but... The Gamelon piece didn't survive into the final film, but its influence on me did. I happen to be a big fan of Polonese Gamelon music, and this was a, it was a great tune, very catchy, but it's also obviously a bit strange to have that in the movie <laughs> taking place in, in Ashiran. But I kind of like I like the strangeness of it, and we live with that in the middle of the film, this middle this montage in the middle of the film for quite a while, and. From that, I sort of started thinking about metallic instruments. And what happened is one day I was sitting with my daughter and we were reading, she's 11 years old, we were reading Grimm's version of Cinderella, which is much darker than all the films of Cinderella. It's like in, in Grimm's story, the, the mother has her daughters cut off pieces of their feet so that they'll fit into the slipper. And I was reading it and I was like, hmm, well, I'm working on a movie that's a little bit, <laughs> has some parallels. 
And I started, between that Gamelon piece and the, the experience of reading the Grimm story, I started thinking that if I play it more like it's a fairy tale, it also takes us a little bit away from the gruesomeness, the, because it's, it is physically gruesome, obviously, some of the action in the film. But that would distance us a little bit from the gruesomeness and start to look at it in a different, look at the whole story in a different way. And so I started playing with metallic instruments, in particular Celeste, which is a, a keyboard that plays bell sounds, but also lower gamelan type sounds. And just started going off in that direction of making it more like a fairy tale and started sending these ideas to Martin and he liked them. So that's how I kind of came around to the, the approach that I take with the score. So I played all the celeste parts. The two main instruments, I guess three main instruments, are the celeste, harp, and flute. And they're all, again, for what's a pretty dark story, these are all almost childlike instruments. As I say, wouldn't be out of place in a fairy tale or something like that. You know, they fit Colin Farrell's character, Peric. He's He is a little bit like a man-child. So when you first hear this music against him, it seems appropriate. He's got... His little, his little miniature donkey that he walks around with and stuff. He's, he is like a child in many ways. And then as you follow the, the dark road that the story goes down, then the music starts to maybe feel more ironic. But it's also true that even though these are all very light sounds, the tunes are, are not light. The tunes themselves are, are always sad and sometimes very harmful very uh, chromatic is the musical word for it. They don't fit into a major or minor key. They're, lo they're more complicated than they appear at first. And that's sort of like this movie, too. Uh, it's, you know, the music seems simple at first, but it's actually not quite so simple. And the story, you know, or Peric's life seems simple at first, and then, you know, it's much less so. You know, interestingly, the music doesn't change a great deal even as the relationship between Peric and Colm goes downhill. It's kind of like Peric in that it just plows straight ahead and tries to, you know, hope for the best. So even after um, Peric's donkey dies, which is the worst thing, you know, I mean, it's one thing for your sister to leave you forever, but for your donkey to die and at the same time... Anyway, that whole little section, Siobhan leaving, the donkey dying, is, is very emotional. But in many ways, the, the music and the themes and the instrumentation do, I think, as far as I recall, they, they pretty much stay the same. And it begins to instead play ironically. It like reminds you of uh, you know, who Peric was and makes you feel pain for who, who he is now. So even in the last last couple of scenes, which are very dark in terms of what's going on, the music just stays. It's still the same instruments, still the bell piano and the harp. It just pretty much stays the same. Take as an example when the Combs house is burning. Peric's set in Combs house on fire as revenge for the, the death of his donkey. By keeping the music in this kind of dreamy fairy tale vein, even during that whole scene, 
you know, it does a little bit play ironically. It's like we're seeing this horrible thing happening, but the music is not telling us that it's horrible. It steps us back from it a little bit, and we see what's going on more metaphorically. And you know, that works. There's no particular reason we should feel bad for Colm that his house is burning, or or you know, enter into the actual. Um, violence of, of the situation. We never do uh, with the music at all. It always stays a little like a, a step back, and that's just the my attitude as a composer. I think also Martin's attitude. It's just it's the way that we we make these things. Certain scenes presented challenges in terms of what to say and what not to say. Or where Martin and I, you know, I would do one thing and Martin would say, well, I think it should go a different direction. The main one that sticks out to me is Peric gets beaten by the local policeman. But Colm comes and helps him up onto his cart and, and then drives him most of the way home. And this is at the point at which they're not talking to each other. And they don't talk during this whole sequence. And so it's very... Again, doubly painful for Perry. He's just been, you know, smacked by the cop, but also he's not allowed to talk to his friend who's sitting right next to him. And so the question was like, how, how much to play? For instance, Perry's pain, like the emotional pain. And I did a version where it did, you know, somewhat play that, you know. And then Martin thought it just needed to be cooler, and you know, just couldn't go there really. And I basically just took the same piece of music pulled all the strings out and we're just left with the you know metallophones and and harp and that's what's there now but those are you know that's an example of something where yeah I was like you want to play Peric at this moment how much do we want music to pull you into his experience Martin didn't want it to pull you in that far and you don't have to of course the performance is fantastic you get everything about it but one of the things that music does is it's in films is it's a sort of a backdoor into the viewer's emotions, right? So, yeah, that's an example of how you can turn a knob in a, in a score and say, yeah, uh, more warmth, less warmth, more emotion, less emotion. Mm -hmm. 